I want to tell you about my grandfather. His name was Asayid. He's the person from whom I got my last name. He sold vegetables in a fish market in Alexandria, Egypt from the time he was in eighth grade, fending for himself and his family after his own father passed away. I remember watching him when I was young, hauling burlap bags full of potatoes with one arm, heaving them onto trucks. My grandfather died of hepatitis C, a deadly infection of the liver, the organ that purifies your blood. Hep C affects 71 million people worldwide. It's one of the most common infections in the world. It's a silent killer. It works slowly over time, hardening and destroying your liver through a process called fibrosis. Until recently, Egypt had the world's highest prevalence of hepatitis C. One in 10 Egyptians were infected. Now, it's on the verge of being eliminated altogether. See, my grandfather died in 2004, but had he been able to hang on for just a few more years, he would have had access to an incredible life-saving drug. But only if he'd stayed in Egypt. In America, it's nearly 10 times as expensive. As spectacular as Sovaldi appears to be, so too is its price tag. Each pill is $1,000. And it's not the only medication that is way too expensive in America. You've probably heard about Martin Shkreli. The crazy-eyed pharma bro, he's serving seven years for securities fraud. His company spiked the price of a drug called Daraprim, which is used to treat AIDS, malaria, and cancer. If I get this, 5,000%. What do you say to that signal pregnant woman who might have AIDS? What do you say to her? I invoke my Fifth Amendment privilege against self-incrimination. There's also the case of the EpiPen, which you need to save your life if you have an allergic reaction. Their manufacturer, Mylan, spiked the cost to six times higher than it used to be. 600% in less than a decade. $600 a pen, the active ingredient, a buck. Then there's insulin which people with diabetes today are rationing because they can't afford it. 26-year-olds are not supposed to die because they don't have insulin. But without insurance, Alex Smith couldn't afford the $1,300 a month to control his diabetes. Seriously, though, what the hell is going on with drug prices in this country? According to new research, blueberries could be as effective as medication at lowering blood pressure, so now Pfizer has raised the price 1,200%. This is America Dissected. I'm Dr. Abdul El-Sayed, and today we're dissecting prescription drug pricing in this country, the insane system that's jacking up the cost of prescription drugs. To do that, we're bringing you a story you probably haven't heard of. That life-saving drug I was talking about earlier, Savaldi, being used to treat hepatitis C in Egypt and all over the world, it's been a game changer for patients. Except, of course, for a lot of people who need it right in our own backyard. Because in the U.S., it's too damn expensive. My name is Victor Roy. I'm a medical resident at Boston Medical Center and a sociologist who's studied the political economy of drug pricing, um, especially with this case of hepatitis C. Victor's going to be our guide through the winding story of Savaldi and Hep C in the United States and the maze of drug development and drug financing that it follows. But first, some basics. Three and a half million Americans currently live with hepatitis C, making it the most common chronic infection in America. Like we talked about up top, Hep C slowly destroys your liver over time. And without proper treatment, it can kill you. For a very long time, the only available treatment for hep C was an injection you'd have to take almost every day for months. It wasn't very effective, and it had awful side effects. Patients would wind up in the hospital all the time. Nobody liked it. 
The, the side effects were a lot of sort of akin to cancer chemotherapy. So things like hair loss, uh, fatigue, and really feeling um, in a malaise oftentimes with that treatment. But in 2013, Sovaldi hit the market, completely revolutionizing hep C treatment. Now the latest on a medical breakthrough that is starting to have an impact on a hidden, deadly epidemic in this country. New drugs can cure up to 95% of patients with hepatitis C. Sovaldi, a daily pill, stops the hep C virus from replicating right in the liver. No more injections, no more massive side effects. Treatment that used to take many months of regular injections and many trips to the hospital with no guarantee of cure was now reduced to a 12 to 24 week course of a once a day pill that was almost always effective. Sounds great, right? No more hep C. Or so we thought. When the drugs came to market in 2013, the prices were set uh, in excess of $80,000. Rewind that tape. $80,000. Gilead, the manufacturer of this revolutionary hep C drug, set the price of a course of treatment at $84,000, roughly $1,000 a pill. The cure to hep C would cost more than a college education. Who the hell could afford that? The health systems essentially buckled under the the numbers that they were seeing and the costs it would have to their budgets. The price of Sovaldi was so goddamn high that if every hep C patient got treated, the total cost could have bankrupted nearly every state Medicaid program in the country. So administrators made decisions about who could receive the treatment and who couldn't. And so what a lot of health systems did, uh, particularly Medicaid, the prison system, was to restrict access to the treatment until the later stages of what's called fibrosis, the, the scarring of the liver. Um, and so patients that were in early stage of disease wouldn't, weren't able to get access to the treatment. Because Sovaldi was so expensive, health insurers often limited treatment to people whose liver damage from hep C was particularly advanced. That'd be like finding a cure for cancer but waiting to treat people until it had spread all over their bodies. And if that sounds crazy and unethical, it's because, well, it is. But that's what they did. In the first year, Medicaid could only afford to treat one out of every 42 people who needed it. But Gilead, the manufacturer, they made out with $10.3 billion. So how in the hell does a cure like this get priced at $84,000? To learn that, my friends... Step into the maze with me. We begin in 1999. So there was a company uh, based out of Emory University. It's based in Atlanta called Pharmacet. The rationale for Pharmacet is actually based right in their name, right? Ray Shinazi named the company Asset, And from the very beginning, he thought about how would he create assets for basically big pharma. Smaller companies like Pharmacet that focus on designing molecular compounds with very specific purposes, like Savaldi, are known as biotech firms. Most of them focus all their effort, take a huge bet, on one or two compounds. They do this in the hopes that one day, a company from Big Pharma will come a-knocking and acquire them for a huge sum of money. Creating new compounds requires a lot of research and development, and that takes a lot of money. And where did Pharmacet get a good chunk of that change? They, like most companies that develop drugs, got a portion of their initial funding from you and me. That's right, our tax dollars, through the federal government. Here, let me pause for a second. If you're going to get out of a maze, you need some landmarks. And lucky for you, throughout this episode, we've got six of them. And that right there is landmark number one. 
new drugs get off the ground with funding from taxpayer dollars. Pharmacet ramped up its research efforts with a combination of funding, including millions of dollars in grant money from the NIH. There was little progress at first, but by 2008, Pharmacet's hep C compound started to show real promise. Which brings us to landmark number two in the mix. Like any American business with a good idea, they began to attract investors. So as they're presenting those clinical trials at conferences, the results are looking promising. And, you know, Wall Street is betting that this is going to be a big winner. And so Gilead looks at its own financial models and says, you know, this drug could make us, you know, many, many billions into the future. Gilead, a major player in the drug industry, the maker of Tamiflu and Truvada, really wanted Pharmacet's compounds. They saw in Pharmacet's research the potential for a drug that could revolutionize hep C treatment and make them a ton of money. So they looked to acquire Pharmacet. Gilead wanted Pharmacet bad. They created an internal plan, codenames and all, called Project Harry, in which they, Gilead, were nicknamed Gryffindor, and Pharmacet was nicknamed Harry. Forget the sorting hat, they were going to make Harry an offer he couldn't refuse. They actually ran the numbers based on what price they thought they could charge. Based on that, they said, well, this is a really valuable asset. And so they bought Pharmacet for $11 billion in 2011. That $11 billion purchase gave Gilead the rights to all of Pharmacet's drugs, and most importantly, the compound that would go on to become Sovaldi. Okay, let's get our bearings for a second. Sovaldi was born in a lab funded by taxpayer dollars. Then, Big Pharma swoops in and looks to make a payday. You with me? So once it acquired Sovaldi, Gilead steered the drug through FDA approval, and by 2014, they were nearly ready to take it to market. With 3.5 million hep C patients in the United States and a revolutionary treatment, Gilead was poised to make their investment back many times over. How does Gilead decide that they're going to charge this ridiculous sum of money for this drug? How do they set the price? They looked at the price of the prior treatments. If you add up the costs, they were somewhere in the, in the north of like $70,000 for treatment already. That's $70,000 for the garbage, side-effect-riddled, multi-month injection regimen that Savaldi replaced. Their argument was, you know, our treatments are providing a benefit um, well over what the previous treatments are. So health systems, we as a society, would be willing to pay more for a better treatment. Rather than tie the price of treatment to, say, the cost it took to produce that treatment, Gilead just based the price off of what people were already paying and added to it. Because, hey, it's a better drug. And that brings us to landmark number three in the drug pricing mix. Base the cost of the new treatment on the cost of the old one, plus some. Because it's a better drug. In the case of Savaldi, once Gilead decided they wanted to charge more than the cost of the old treatment, they went out of their way to figure out just how much more they could charge. They even created a heat map of pricing. How high could they go before the public got too pissed off about it? One of the responses that they modeled for was basically a Senate uh, congressional hearing um, and sort of public outcry. And so they basically estimated that once they went north of like $100,000, that was much more likely. So they settled at this point on that $84,000 number, $1,000 a pill, just below public outcry status. And at any point, was there a consideration of the fact that, you know, this research was publicly funded that generated this drug and the public good responsibility of, of actually treating people who are suffering a deadly disease? Did that factor into their consideration at all? No, there was no consideration around um, 
really the the struggles that would come about in terms of access in any significant kind of way in terms of a public health strategy or approach. Um, and there was no conversation really about their research and development costs, right, which is what you publicly hear about, you know, why drug prices need to cost so much. There is never any consideration around their R&D costs because really for them it wasn't about that. It was about looking at what the price of the existing treatment was and just saying, you know, what is um, – what is the maximum increment above that that society will, would be willing to pay for, you know, an improvement in health? Hold up. The maximum increment above that. We're always told that the reason drug prices are so expensive is because of the massive research and development costs that go into making a drug. But as you've seen through this maze, who funded that initial R&D cost? Us, the taxpayers, not Gilead. All they did was buy a sure bet in the compound that was going to become Savaldi, knowing they could make a pretty penny after they acquired it. And when Gilead set that price, they didn't give a damn about the people who needed treatment, their access. Instead, all that mattered was setting the highest possible price that would let them sneak by without a congressional hearing. And apparently, that's nothing out of the ordinary for pharma. It's pharma's MO when it comes to pricing. What I see this as is sort of a pricing escalator where what we've got is the price of every new treatment is based off the price of the old treatment in terms of the launch price. And so you've seen this in other disease areas like multiple sclerosis where treatments were, you know, $10,000 in the 90s and now they're in the $60,000 to $70,000 range today. It's not just new drugs that get a higher price. It's all drugs because Wall Street gets involved. Each year, drug companies are doing annual price hikes of somewhere between, you know, 5 to 10 percent. Uh, because they're trying to keep up with how they're expected to grow in terms of their shareholders. And so that already leads to an escalation of the price. Landmark number four. Wall Street driving drug prices even higher. If drug prices stagnate, it affects a company's future earnings. So pharma has to keep pushing their prices even higher. See, prices have to keep going up so the company's stock can keep going up. What about competition? Shouldn't competition bring those prices back down? You'd think so. But instead, as one company raises its prices on something, like insulin, other companies raise their prices in tandem. And that screws people who need those drugs to survive. Like the maze that it is, it's all a bit dizzying. As our treatments keep getting better, costs keep going up. Even for products already on the market, Wall Street just keeps pushing those prices even higher still. And that reverberates throughout the industry. For Big Pharma, it's never been about the greater good. It's always been about the bottom line. But what about generics? Shouldn't they help solve this problem? And how come the government allows all this to keep happening? We're not out of the maze yet. We'll get there after the break. We're treating the pharmaceutical industry, the folks we rely on to make medicines we need to survive, like any other corporation. And what do we, the patients, get in return? Higher drug prices. Across the board, America has the world's highest drug prices. The cost of Viagra? We're number one. Crestor? Number one again. Avastin? Number one. It doesn't matter what the drug is. Chances are, Americans are paying more for it. Hey, I guess we gotta be number one at something in healthcare, right? To help us find our way out of this maze of drug pricing in the U.S., we called someone who's been thinking about it for a long time. Uh, can you introduce yourself just um, just for the uh, for the tape? 
I'm Elizabeth Rosenthal. I'm editor-in-chief of Kaiser Health News and author of An American Sickness, How Healthcare Became Big Business and How You Can Take It Back. Dr. Rosenthal is going to help us break down why pharma sucks, especially in the U.S., by shepherding us along through some more of the landmarks. She starts where Victor left off, with the power of market forces. I think what we're seeing now is the prices will rise to whatever the market will bear. And the market will bear almost anything because if you have a kid who's sick, you're going to pay whatever it takes to try and help your child, um, even if you think it's bonkers, right? Right. There's no shopping around in the drug market. If your kid's sick, you buy the drug that makes them better. Economists call these inelastic demand curves. They don't bend on price because you have literally no other option. Drug manufacturers know this, and they take advantage of it. Well, at least in America. Every other uh, developed country does regulate drug pricing and determines what seems like a logical price. And that doesn't mean that new drugs can't be, you know, expensive. Um, a, A country like Germany will say, when a brand new, you know, blockbuster drug comes on the market, and I don't mean blockbuster as we use it in the U.S. pharma market, which is to say big money. I mean blockbuster in the terms of, you know, it will cure a disease that hasn't been curable before. So disease buster. A disease buster, right. Um, They'll say, yeah, you can charge a lot for it. But what other countries do, even the ones that start off with high prices, is say, okay, but once it gets a little older, the prices should come down over time because, you know, it's not as new anymore. There are often uh, competitors that come into the market. What we see in the U.S. with no price controls and no real market forces at work because you'll pay what you need to 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 treat your kid or yourself um, is exactly the opposite. We're an outlier in this respect. In other countries, like Germany, for example, when a drug maker has a new drug, they don't go straight to market with it. They have to go to the government first, who then tasks a federal agency with assessing the value of the new drug and negotiating with the pharma company for the best price. So when companies come to their doorstep and say, we want to sell this life-saving treatment for a ton of money, the government can say, screw you, bring the price down. By contrast, in the U.S., we just let drug companies like Gilead set whatever damn price they want. Landmark number five. A biggie. The federal government does not regulate or negotiate the cost of prescription drugs in the U.S. Period. End of sentence. Stay with me here as we break this down. Part of the reason that these governments can negotiate these lower drug prices is because they, unlike us of course, often have a centralized healthcare system and they treat prescription drugs, and healthcare in general, like a public utility, something their citizens literally can't live without. I spoke to a young woman who has type 1 diabetes, who is doing a graduate degree in Germany now, and she would love to stay there because having type 1 diabetes in Germany and needing insulin, it's really affordable because the the government considers that, you know, it's not your fault that you got it. You didn't ask for it. We have national pricing. So um, you'll get what you need. Here she would have to make sure she had a job with good insurance, and then there would be co-pays and deductibles, and it would be a, a, a nightmare, frankly. And, they, you know, your insurer could change the kind of insulin it, it had contracted with for the year or the kind of pump it was using. So I, I think we put patients in um, a terrible bind. And you have to remember, if you, you don't have good insurance or you don't have the kind of backbone to fight with an insurer about an expensive drug, it's a terrible situation. 
In the U.S., patients have little recourse when it comes to the predatory cost of prescription drugs. It all points back to the structure of our healthcare system, which relies on a bunch of health insurance corporations of variable size and a few huge government insurers, Medicaid and Medicare. Private health insurers can sometimes negotiate small rebates for their patients, but without the size or power of the federal government, they lack the negotiation power they really need to make a dent. And the only insurer with the negotiating power to really make a dent in those prices and set the standard for every other insurer is Medicare. But guess what? Here's the kicker. It legally can't negotiate. Like, there's a law in the books which literally makes it illegal for the government to negotiate drug prices. Here's Victor again. That's due to the way the Medicare prescription benefit was negotiated and put into law back in the two, early 2000s under the Bush administration. So the pharmaceutical lobby uh, really got behind in influencing the public sector being able to have any power to actually negotiate the price that they would be paying. So, so our legislators, our government, willingly negotiated away their ability to negotiate with the drug manufacturers and so they're stuck trying to pay these exorbitant prices. Absolutely. Yep, that's the influence of the pharmaceutical lobby over the last you know, 30, 40 years. Probably no big surprise here. Pharma spends more money on lobbying the U.S. government than any other sector in the country. That's why the federal government can't negotiate drug prices. Back when the Medicare prescription drug benefit was worked out, Pharma lobbied Congress to eliminate the government's ability to negotiate drug prices. So now, Medicare just pays whatever price the drug company wants. Okay, all right. But what about generic drugs? Once drug patents are up, won't generics flood the market and drop costs? We have had this faith in the market, that the market will solve this, that when we get competitors in, you know, they'll all fight with each other on pricing and the price will come down. And that does happen in cars, right? Competition brings prices down in cars. It doesn't in drugs. You know, for a long time in the U.S., our solution, which was fairly effective, was we had a pretty robust generic drug industry. It worked pretty well here because generics would come in, often in a reasonable amount of time after patents expired, and then the price would come way down. And that's how we see, you know, a lot of the cholesterol-lowering drugs being, you know, $5 scripts at at, uh, Walmart and Target now. That traditional solution has not worked in recent years because the generic drug makers, like the brand drug makers before them, said, I don't know, There's, it's not like a law of the universe that generic drugs have to be cheap. You know, why don't we just try raising the prices and seeing what happens? In most markets, like cars or cell phones, adding competition brings down the overall price, but not pharma. And that's landmark number six. The generic drug market won't save us. It's been just as co-opted as the rest of the industry. And as if it couldn't get more perverse, there's a less obvious consequence to the out-of-control profits of big pharma. Pharmaceutical companies have almost zero incentive to make drugs that actually cure disease. Instead, they're focused on generating drugs that will make money. Those are drugs that manage diseases. So, you know, you're taking them every day for a long, long time. Would you want to spend a whole lot of money developing an antibiotic where someone's going to take it for, you know, five days and get better? Would you want to develop a drug that cured diabetes that someone could take once and they would never have diabetes again? Um, yes. But the incentives in the industry are screwed. And what Dr. Rosenthal mentioned about antibiotics, keep that one in mind, because we're going to spend next episode digging into it. 
We've created an entire system that prioritizes the bottom lines of the corporation selling drugs rather than treating illness among people who need them to survive. A system where there's no incentive to cure people and where the government is impotent to stand up and negotiate on our behalf. I'll let Dr. Rosenthal sum it up for you. You know, someone said to me, if you think of the polio vaccine, right, which A, wasn't patented and it was cheap, so everyone got it and mostly eliminated polio from the world. You know, if we use the drug development mechanism we use today, someone joked with me, we wouldn't have a polio vaccine. Instead, we would have iron lungs in 10 colors with iPhone apps. 10 colors with iPhone apps. Okay. So we've traversed most of the maze, passing all our landmarks along the way. Government-funded drugs get bought up by Big Pharma, who sells them to the public at rates that always exceed those of the previous treatment. This pricing and Wall Street pressure to keep growing drive up the costs of drugs even higher, and the federal government is useless to stop any of it. Generic drugs follow the same path as patented ones, and all of it throws the incentives in the industry totally out of whack. The question remains, is there actually a way out of this nonsense? Well, aside from a complete overhaul of our healthcare system, which we'll eventually get to in this series, there is some hope. State and local governments are stepping up where the federal government hasn't. The state of Louisiana is one of them. Louisiana has 39,000 hep C patients on Medicaid or in prison. To supply them all with a generic of Savaldi would cost almost a billion dollars. More than the state pays for K-12 education, veterans affairs, and corrections combined. Faced with that price tag, Health Secretary Rebecca Gee was forced to think outside the box. And so, she came up with a plan to negotiate with Gilead. Though the federal government can't negotiate with drug manufacturers for fairer pricing, that limitation doesn't extend to the states. The result is a new model that Gee calls the subscription model. Basically, the state of Louisiana is paying Gilead a subscription fee for access to unlimited Hep C drugs for its Medicaid and prison populations. There are thousands of people who have been waiting for this treatment, many for a number of years, because currently we have to wait until they have internal bleeding or cirrhosis or liver hardening before we cure. So now we're going to be able to cure everyone in the state. This could be one of the major public health achievements of our time. Think of it like Netflix, but for meds for the whole state. Whether you binge-watch Netflix every night or watch a few episodes every month, it's the same price. Netflix has you covered. Instead of forcing Louisianans to go right to the manufacturer to try and buy the drug, what they've said is, as a state, we're going to buy an unlimited subscription to this drug, and then we're going to offer it to anybody on Medicaid or in prison. It's a win-win. Under this plan, Louisiana gets to save the lives of tens of thousands of its citizens and stop the spread of a deadly disease, while Gilead stands to make more money than they would have otherwise. See, Louisiana wasn't buying all that much of these meds from Gilead before because they were too expensive. This is a model that could be replicated across other states, with a multitude of drugs. If we're going to deal with the absurdly high cost of prescription drugs in the U.S., it's going to take government leaders like Rebecca Gee thinking outside the box, standing up to the corporations to help those under her care. But at some point, if we really want to break out of this maze— we're going to have to decide that the federal government should do its damn job and stand up for us. Congressional Democrats recently proposed a bill that would take a step in that direction. It would empower the Secretary of Health and Human Services to negotiate on behalf of the American public for the 250 most expensive prescription drugs under patent, and if they chose not to negotiate, they would face stiff penalties. It's a promising first step, though there are some limitations. Without the threat of breaking their patents, the prescription drug manufacturers maintain the upper hand in the negotiations. 
But there's a bigger issue. We don't usually think about prescription drugs as a campaign finance issue, but they're related. When corporations like Gilead line the pockets of candidates for Congress, you better believe they're expecting something in return. They want to be able to sell us back the products of the research that our taxpayer dollars paid for at prices we can't afford. This episode, we talked about what happens when people can't afford their meds. Next episode, we'll talk about what happens when people overuse them. We're slicing into antibiotic misuse and the rise of the superbugs. Next time on America Dissected. As an epidemiologist, I know a thing or two about virality. So if you like our show, make sure to share, subscribe, and rate us on iTunes. And tweet or Instagram me at at Abdul El Sayed, and I'll throw you a repost. America Dissected is a production of Crooked Media. Our producers are Austin Fisher, Carrie Jr. II, and Katie Long. Andrea B. Scott is our story editor. Our sound designer is Daniel Ramirez. Production support from Allison Falzetta, Elisa Gutierrez, Kara Hart, Daniel Porcerelli, and Tara Terpstra. Fact-checking by Dr. Nicole Aiello. The theme song is by Taka Yasuzawa and Alex Huguera. Our executive producers are Sarah Geismer and Mukta Mohan. Special thanks to John Favreau, John Lovett, Tanya Sominator, and Tommy Vitor. And I'm your host, Dr. Abdul El-Sayed. Thanks for listening.